Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 13, which is titled, It's Not Easy Being Green. The episode aired on February 1st, 1996. Lauren, what was going on that week, 24 years ago? Well, today's definitely a mixed bag tonally, so bear with me, folks. First off, Germany observes its first annual Holocaust Remembrance Day. Super Bowl 30, the Dallas Cowboys defeat the Pittsburgh Sp- Steelers 27-17. to France... Ooh. I thought you were booing France for a minute. No. Fran- <laughs> yeah, they're fine. France agrees to stop testing nuclear weapons in the Pacific. Halle gets married in real life. On January 27th, actress Yvette Freeman and music director Lanny Hartley tie the knot. They are still together to this day. Woohoo! Very sweet. Congratulations. This, um, is, this is why I look through on the website that I use. This is why I look through the famous weddings as well. Nice. So, Mr. Holland's opus takes the number one spot at the box office. And would you believe it? Will it ever end? One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men continues dominating the music charts. I thought we were over the Boys to Men curse, but here we are yet again, folks. Also, Mr. Holland's opus stands as one of the the most boring movies I've been forced to watch never seen more it. than once. Yeah, never seen it. Ugh. Saw it four times against my will. So, mm-hmm. all of her school in various capacities. All right. Never seen it. All right, it. yeah. <laughs> all right, this week uh, you've got 35.9 million viewers for this week's episode, uh, directed by Chris Chulak and written by Paul Manning. So, kind of a season one solid dream team here working this week's episode. All right, and we open on a wintry Chicago lakefront with someone jogging along. And oh, look, as we zoom in, it's Mark. And he has very interesting 90s jogging attire, I noticed. Like, this isn't a typical outfit that you'd see somebody today necessarily jogging on the lakefront in, in cold weather, I don't think. No. It's it's kind of a dorky look. There's um, no tech fabrics. There's no Nike logos right. or Under Armour. Sweat is not being wicked right now. Exactly. Oh. Um, and we noticed that he was jogging north near the Oak Street Beach. So, like, just north of the Mag Mile, if you're... Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to Chicago on the Mag Mile. That's what it's called. It's called the Magnificent Mile. I know, and, and I... And everyone... maybe because I'm an out-of-towner, I would call it the Magnificent Mile. I don't know if I've ever referred to it as the Mag Mile. <laughs> it's what it's on in, like, every map. It's it's fine. Huh, it's okay. a thing. Listeners, back me up here. But he gets the R groaning and stretching like you do after running. Running sucks. It's like, I love it when those endorphins kick in. Yay. And it's his day off. But he's in the ER like a weirdo. <laughs> he's just really milking those stretches, too. He wants people to know he ran there. Mm. Uh, again, Swall. Doing, doing, doing eight miles a day. It's cool. It's yeah. cool. To be Gotta fair, that's how I sounded after my workout today. So, <laughs> But you're doing yoga. Fair. Um, but yeah, everybody looks at him like he's a freaking weirdo, too. For, for a multitude of reasons on this day. Yes. I was going to say, I think it's Chuni who is like, he came in on his day off. That's sad. And I'm like, oh, honey, in like two more seasons, he, that sad is going to be your like <laughs> your ill-advised fling. Your catnip. Uh, so we go from there to our first patient of the episode. Susan is extracting glass from a woman's eye. And Carrie comes in and sort of like comes much too close to where susan is where she's she's looking through this like i don't even know what she would call that instrument but like she's looking through this like telescope type thing to get a close-up view of this woman's eye and carrie just gets way too close to her face 
and he's like, were your ears burning? Because Morgan Stern and I were just discussing you for chief resident next year because your work is, quote, consistently solid in a class that has been very disappointing. And I was like, is there a more backhanded way for her to give her this promotion or like let her know that she's in contention for this promotion? Like, it's just, I really thought we were turning a corner with Carrie here, but she's still very like socially inept is probably the best way to put it. I mean, some people like the title queen of Trash Mountain. <laughs> Me. <laughs> she's, she's not doing great so far. Oh, and she only gets better right here. Oh, yeah. She she doubles down on it because she, you know, she encourages Susan that she should read up on time management techniques because it, it could reduce on-the-job stress and, and get her home early for little Susie, even if she took on the role. And mind you, she's doing all this while Susan has a, like, medical instrument on a woman's eyeball and Which, and also c- yeah. corrects her on the technique, too, while she's doing it. So it's just like, yeah, Carrie, come on. I'm trying to go to bat for you here. Like, could you just be cool this once? Can you please just be cool? Nope. It's not in her character. <sighs> not yet, anyway. Yeah. Um, then we go over to Carol, who just, out of, just yells, son of a bitch, uh, <laughs> because she has been cut down to only three shifts a week, and she still needs approximately $12,000 in repairs on her house, and apparently it's been affecting all nurse managers because of their, quote, outrageous salaries. So I'd be interested to hear what that salary is. And... Uh, <sighs> But uh, on the flip side of that, Jeannie is now up to six shifts a week. Oh, oh, I see how it is. Yeah, that's Carol. Carol knows what's up. Which she complains about right in front of Carol, right after Carol has announced this. Yeah, to be fair, she wasn't there, though. No, but I'm just saying, like, as far as bat foot and mouth bad timing goes, she wouldn't know, but we know. And Jerry, bless his heart, (laughs) bless the sweet summer child. He encourages, he encourages Carol to join an investment club, a.k.a. a pyramid scheme. Now, can I explain this this investment club real quick? Because it's going to come into play later. Please. So it's a friend of his called Alvin who says, yeah, if you put in $2,000 in like five weeks, you'll make like $12,000 from the people who've invested later on. <laughs> so like the earlier in you get, the better. And everybody's like, Jerry, you got to get your money back. Like you're out, you're out that two grand. How much did you put in? Because he's trying to get everybody else now to buy in so he can get his payoff. So this is going to come up a few small times later in the episode. And it's it's a it's a good through line for the episode. Just sweet Jerry. precious Jerry. Jerry, get your shit together. Jerry has his shit together. <laughs> yeah, as, as this episode will prove, it's everybody else. Jerry's playing 4D chess here. It's everybody else who's still playing checkers. So we go from there to Jeannie working on suturing a patient. Uh, Benton comes over to check on her and remarks that her work is very solid. He's very impressed. Uh, While they're talking, Vuselich interrupts, uh, wants Benton to be the advocate for their study uh, over in Europe. I believe it's France is where he's sending him. But they need to find one more patient first so that they can, it'll bump them over into a statistically significant study. Um, and there's a time crunch at play here because uh, a Norwegian group is kind of doing a similar study. So they're kind of in a race against time here. Um, Benton remarks, wondering where Carter is. And Malik says, uh, Malik mentions that he called saying he would be late. Um, so we're kind of starting to get to the end game with this whole Vuselich study thing. And we're really going to start to see some of those strings kind of start to unravel this episode. So this will be a definite through line for this one. Oh boy. 
And we find out why Carter's going to be late. Because <laughs> they don't waste that fucking 9 p.m. T- 9, 10 p.m. time 10 PM. slot. 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central. That that prime time slot, because all of a sudden, mm, we cut to some gratuitous under blanket sex and noises. And after probably 15 seconds, yeah. there's a dramatic whip of the blankets off these people's heads. And surprise, it's Carter and Harper. So I guess they're made up. I guess yeah. they're fine now. Yeah. I would say things are good now. And then Harper says, I think we broke my record. John, your control is phenomenal. What does that even mean? <laughs> it means it took him a long time to come. Thank you. Oh, boy. There um, it is. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's because I think about mundane things during sex to delay the inevitable. And she's like, oh, what kind of things? <laughs> And he's like, oh, you know, at first I think about, you know, patient charts and codes. And then as it gets more difficult, I start going through surgery procedures. And she's like, while we're making love, you're thinking about bowel restructurings. And he goes, I think based on your earlier testimonial, the ends justify the means. And she laughs and shoves him out of bed and then into the actual bangs. I was I was waiting. I was waiting for the like the the 80s and 90s laugh track. To I go, know, like, right? To go like, ooh, <laughs> like, like as they were talking. I could not have rolled my eyes harder during this scene. Yeah, this is, I think this has got to be as far as they've pushed the envelope with this kind of thing so far. I mean, this is probably the most, like, it's not the right word for it, but, like, it's the most, like, graphic depiction of a sex scene, I think, that we've had, even though it's just blank. But, like, the movement and the, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel like they probably got some notes on this one from the, the and- network. And the discussion. I think this right. is tied with the Mark's Day Off sex romp from episode or from season one. True. And then we also have, don't forget, we also had Tag Ass. That yeah, but I'm talking about like, the actual that. like graphic weird stuff. That one got pretty graphic and weird too, though, if you remember. Yeah. Like, and they had like a bag of sex toys too. Like, That's true. I don't know. Just saying. Cool. Still waiting on Jerry's time to get into the action. Oh, it's coming. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm not ready for it. <laughs> Well, you have a couple of years you yeah, know, in say, our, you got in a our relative time. term to, got, to get you've ready. Got, you've got time to steal yourself for that one. Yeah, uh, but we're in with some bangs. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> then after after the intro, we have uh, our first audio for, of the episode for you. We have Mark and Susan talking in the break room. They're giving each other TB tests. So last night, I get a letter from Jen's lawyer politely informing me that she's suing me for full custody of Rachel. Oh, no. Yeah, it seems I've been a distant and absent father, this after commuting from Milwaukee for half a year. Well, it sounds like a lot of lawyer BS. I can't imagine she'd actually go through with it. I was climbing the walls all night. Well, that's why you're here. Tiny prick. I beg your pardon? (laughs) I need a TB test, too. So I hear Morgan Stern has really turned up the pressure on you becoming chief resident. Yeah, it's a good opportunity, but can I do it and not work killer hours? You know how well I manage to balance work and family? Guess that answers that. You'll be able to work it out. Take your paperwork home. Hours won't be that bad. Ow! You have to cut Carrie Weaver some slack. What do you mean? You go out of your way to avoid her, and if she's going to be training you, you're going to have to work together hand in hand. Oh, there's an image. Hey, what are you doing here on your day off? Uh, I went for a jog and uh, ended up here, and I figured, what the hell, might as well save some lives. Well, another good reason not to exercise. See, Doug's got the right idea. Yeah. 
just take your paperwork home and you won't be home too late. It'll be fine. Also, side note, TB test just ugh, squeaked me out. No, Why? no, it's that's like the little bubble that forms that just looks really weird and it just makes me uncomfortable. I don't know if I've ever seen one. I oh. don't remember ever having gotten one in like adult memory. Oh, I had to get I had to get a uh, couple done in college. So mm. for for education purposes. Bef- so. Before we knew each other. Yeah. Uh, the good old days go fuck yourself (laughs) um but yeah so i think it's very sweet that they're like oh yeah i'm due too and they just like give each other tb tests just go team just good seeing mark and susan um broing it up again and a little sassy doug thrown in there i feel like we haven't had much doug sass since his big couple episodes yeah they kind of been kind of putting him on the back burner quite a bit it seems like so we'll see where that goes hopefully we get some more doug soon but um, now that he's not being a shithead. First patient of the episode is, like, our first through-line patient mm-hmm. of the episode, I should say, is a 32-year-old male. He comes in post-ictal after a five-minute grand mal seizure, and his name was Alan. Do we actively? I don't think we actively see him seizing, right? No, they uh, when the paramedics are bringing him in, they That's say, right. oh, he's post-ictal from a five-minute grand mal. That's right. So, vocab, guys, post-ictal means after seizure we've all learned something today i'm sure i've said it before (laughs) oh no i already knew that but i know you knew it (laughs) i would hope you know that so coming in with alan you also get his wife um mrs wimber so i guess that's alan wimber and his wife um who is a little bit of an oh hey it's that lady um she's played by an actress named lisa waltz who i immediately recognized from x files she has a really like a one episode part on X-Files um, from one of their early season episodes. I think she actually did that prior to this. And then she also had kind of extended runs on Young and the Restless and Fear the Walking Dead. You would know her from X-Files. I would. I, especially like now we're going to start getting more and more of them. I know we are because there's a lot of crossover between the two. I mean, I feel like there's like this like triangle between ER, X-Files and Law and & Order. Like you had to have been on at least two out of the three if you were an actor in the 90s. So then we have Benton giving Carter shit about being late, and um, he's like, all right, well, you know, keep your eye out because we're looking for a new study patient. If you get one that qualifies, like, it's good for all of us. He tells him about the bounty as well. Yeah, I had missed that line, yeah. so thank you. There's some cash money involved for uh, whoever can find Buselich a new a patient for the study to, to close it out. The finder's fee. So then we go from there to Carol, who is working on a patient who has come in with dizzy spells, a lady by the name of Mrs. Henry or Miss Henry. Uh, And she's played by an actress named Jennifer Rhodes. And she kind of has a little bit of a like discount Meryl Streep thing going on. Like she just kind of has that look to her. Um, And she's semi prolific too. Like she's got uh, 96 credits to her name, uh, including Heather's uh, Charmed and Third Rock from the Sun. Uh, and Mrs. Henry's deal is she raises worms to sell uh, to assist with fertilizer, which immediately kind of sparks Carol's interest because she's looking for ways to make money. And this lady tells her, I, I believe she's like, yeah, I make about six figures doing this. Yeah. And that immediately sparks her interest. So the the worm storyline will definitely be one that <laughs> carries us through this episode. And I, I'm going to say right now. I kind of like it. Like, it has the potential to be a very stupid, very silly storyline, and they play it actually, I think, perfectly, and I'm very excited to talk about the rest of it. Yeah, it's it's the proper kind of levity for a C story. Yes, exactly. 
And I just have to say, oh, yeah, I did recognize her from Charmed now that you mentioned that. See, that's what I'm here for. Appreciate you. Uh, but moving on, we go to back to our seizure patient, Alan. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Green is working him up. He has no history of seizure uh, seizures, though. He's sort of a health nut. He, sort of run, he runs every day, but he's having really irregular heart rhythms, too. So no one's quite sure what the heck is going on here with him. So, But we will check back in, for better or worse, a little later. And then from there, we go back to Carter, who is now trying to get in touch with somebody for a residency interview because after his little conversation with Benton, uh, he has gotten the impression that he is behind the eight ball on getting his residency secured here at County General. So uh, he's kind of doing a little bit of the desperation thing here and calling them himself. And we don't get to hear the voice of the person on the other end, but it through his body language and his responses we can definitely tell that it's not going well they're not happy to be talking to him he hangs up from that and harper brings him a possible patient uh, for Vuslich. she thinks that this patient has um, an aneurysm carter disagrees uh, he says it's not an aneurysm and that she shouldn't waste Vuslich's time unless she wants to get yelled at uh, she gets called away she being harper gets called away uh, by Green to take Alan to get a CT scan, which leaves Carter standing there with the x-ray still on the uh, board. And Susan comes up and points out exactly what Harper just did, points out the aneurysm on the film, and Carter's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And then pulls it down off the board and walks away to go take it to Fuselich himself, presumably. Uh, so in case after last episode you were wondering if we were done with Carter being a shithead, we're not, because he's still going to be a shithead, at least for a little while longer. And with that, too, Carter even goes so far as to, like, to ask Susan to point out, like, well, where do you see the aneurysm? Yeah. And her justification is the exact, almost almost word for word, exactly the same justification that Harper's was. But he just didn't trust Harper because she's a student and therefore not as good as him. But Susan comes up and says the exact same thing. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oops. fuck, man. Like, let's be better. So we go back to uh, Alan and his heart rhythm has gotten worse. He's gone into VTAC. Uh, they asked for uh, electrolytes and a tox screen. In the middle of all this, Green asks Halle for her opinion on the situation, which we thought was a really nice touch. This And that's also something that's very kind of true to life. Like, doctors will confer with nurses who are in the room, particularly in a situation like this where things are just going kind of haywire and there's not a ready-made explanation for why that's happening. It sort of does become this, like diagnosis by committee thing where it's like okay anybody got any ideas and it makes sense that he would go right to somebody like Halle who's got all this experience and has pretty much seen everything under the sun it makes a lot of sense that he would trust her judgment over anybody else in the room so I thought that was a really cool touch yeah that seems like something a good doctor would do and we don't really see too much on the show yeah yeah and I, I love when they actually confer with the goddamn nurses uh, and then we quickly have a pop over. Vuslich and Benton are just praising Carter for his for his quote unquote find on the aneurysm patient. So and Carter does not te- does not dissuade them of this of this uh, notion. Like he looks a little uncomfortable, but he's like, uh-huh. Yeah, my yeah, it was my idea. I made this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So 
we'll see what goes on with that patient a little bit later. But for now, we go back to Mark and Alan because they're trying to get him stabilized still. Mark has put an internal pacer into him to try and stabilize the heart rhythm. 20 minutes later, he's still down. They, the talk screen comes back, no cocaine in the system. Another 20 minutes down, and they still can't figure out what's going on with him. And this whole time, these time jumps, they do a really cool thing where, like, every time Mark says clear and the defibrillator goes off, the screen flashes to, like, 20 minutes forward. And it's a really neat and very disorienting effect that goes very well for the freneticism of the kind of trauma situation. So, during this time, Doug and Susan have popped in to help, too. They can't figure it out. Ten minutes later, Harper is still is doing chest compressions. Ten minutes after that, they're still trying to do work, and everybody's like, do you have any idea? Do you have any idea? Do you have any idea? And they're still just, like, defibrillating him, doing what they can, trying to stabilize this heart rhythm. Five minutes later, they're still charging him, and they eventually announce time of death at 9.55. And Mark goes and tells the wife, and she screams at Mark that they must have done, done something, and Alan's heart was fine when they came in. And while Mark is Yikes. getting screamed at, Susan is just watching through the doors. Which is very, very, very bad day for Mark. Very reminisce of Love's Labor Lost, where he starts questioning himself. And that's going to come into play a little bit later this episode. From there, we get... Jerry is calling his buddy Alvin from the pyramid scheme <laughs> and his old number does not work. So he's having a hard time tracking down his money. We shall follow up with Jerry later. Like, uh, like Daniel said, he's playing the 4d chess and just no one knows it, including him. Um, <laughs> but for now, uh, Susan, uh, talking to Carrie says she likes to throw her, uh, Susan said she's like to throw her hat in the ring for chief resident. And Carrie's like, Oh, cool. Yay. Exciting. Hey, no one signed up for that gallbladder in two yet. Am I, am I taking it? Mm. <laughs> like, oh, cool. Go do scout work. I'm sure that like, relationship's going to go great. Yeah, step up. Be a chief. Take the initiative. Go do that gallbladder. Fuck you, Carrie. <laughs> I, I, I like the long game she's playing this episode once we see it, but God, fuck you, Carrie. Right now, it's awful. To, and at times like this, I just have to remember... She gets to be a better character. Right. I, it's just I, taking a lot longer than any of us realized. I know. Well, I know I know this first season. I'm not sure how, how much it extends in the next season. I know this first season is really rough, but... I think they round her out by season three, but we'll get there. I forget. I think it's like when she be, first becomes an attending is when it's still really rough, but then like after like a season or so of her being an attending next year like starting next year it's it starts to smooth smooth out a little bit dumb question yeah what's the difference between an attending and a resident an attending is sort of like okay so like the hierarchy goes from like highest to lowest it goes chief of the er then attendings am i am i I wrong about this no you're you're on track so far okay attendings and then chief resident then normal residents then interns then medical students from for at least how they lay it out in this show. I don't know how that applies to actual hospitals, but I think that's pretty accurate, I think. Yeah. So but there's only one chief, but there's many attendings. So it's like many assistant principals. Hmm. Yeah. Basically an attend once you're an attending, like you are fully done with your education. Like you're you're fully done with your like medical school and your residency and all that other stuff. Like you are a full fledged doctor at that point. Yeah. But there is you are one. just a you, 
you are a doctor who works in the ER as opposed to the residents where they are students assigned to the ER. Right. Yeah. Residents can do, I believe I'm correct in this, like residents can do different, like they can do an ER rotation, they can do a surgical rotation, they can do, you know, a lot of different things. For those Um, of you listeners who are in the medical field, please feel free to correct us. This also (laughs) goes for Nurse Jen. Nurse Jen, please set us straight if we need to. Yeah, six months from now when she gets around to listening to this episode, yeah. I'm sure she'll be quick to correct me. <laughs> we still love her. Um, <laughs> but yeah, listeners, please feel free to chime in. Let us know. We're if, not doctors. Yeah, if we have anything asked backwards, please let us know. We just talk. We just talk about a TV show about them. <laughs> so we'd love the extra information if you have it. And then we go back to Carol working with Miss Henry, a.k.a. Worm Lady, um, Miss Henry asks Carol to get the worms out of her truck be- and feed them and keep them warm because she's concerned they might freeze because it's so cold outside in the truck. So she's like, can you please just bring them in and keep an eye on them, keep them warm? You know, they'll eat anything vegetarian. It's fine. Thanks. Yeah, February in Chicago is no joke. Especially not for little worms. Yeah. <laughs> How would we describe this next patient? Sort of like the sad, oh no, the system is failing us sort yeah. type patient just for the episode. Like, is this like a, going to be start to be an every episode thing? I or think, like... Yeah, I think this is an illustration of the failing of the system. Okay, because we have this woman, her name is Miss D'Angelo. She's on pain meds for gallstones that she's been having for six months and the pain meds aren't doing anything because, as I understand it, gallstones are extraordinarily painful. But she's on Medicaid, and because they're not, like, blocking anything, so they're not, like, actually, like, her gallbladder, like, isn't going to, like, wither and die immediately. She has to be on an 18-month waiting list for, for because it makes the surgery considered elective. So being, being on Medicaid myself, you know, I can personally attest that that's not that far off for, for some things, depending on the severity of and your need like i've had to wait four or five six months to get into someone to get in to see someone so 18 months might be a bit long but like it's not uncommon to wait that long on medicaid i have no idea how true that is on like normal insurance plans because i haven't been on one of those in forever but yeah medicaid is great for those who need it but i wouldn't recommend it as your primary insurance bad situation all the way around but if you have, need health insurance and you're poor, boy, how do you get it? Yeah. Better than nothing. Exactly. Better than it's nothing. Abs- absolutely better than nothing. So we will definitely come back and revisit with Miss D'Angelo as we go along here. Uh, but we just have some quick hitters. Uh, go back to the desk. Mark is trying to get in on the autopsy on Alan because he's now made it his mission to become obsessed with what happened to this guy uh, and figuring that out. Uh, and then as soon as he hangs up with that, we find out, I think, from Jerry that Morgan Stern wants to see Mark upstairs, which Mark assumes is about Alan's death. Uh, he thinks that that he's like world word travels fast. Um, but we will find out that's not exactly what Morgan Stern wants to talk about, but we will circle back to that here pretty soon. All right. Now we cut over to, uh, we have Carter participating in uh, participating in the clamp and run procedure with Buselich and Buselich and Benton. Uh, the patient is having a rather nasty reaction to the anesthesia is suddenly spiked up to 106 degree fever which will that'll that'll cook your (laughs) that'll cook your brain pretty quickly there so uh if you don't get that down so buselich is screaming at benton for not having known that the guy was intolerant to the anesthesia and 
He's like, and he's, he uses the quote, use the phrase, I say you a banquet and you crap all over the table and throws a piece of equipment and, but thankfully, you know, once cooler heads start to prevail and they try to like work to like work the problem, Benton makes it abundantly clear that the guy has never had an operation before. So there's literally no way of him knowing. So, and Busilich realizes that and apologizes and asks if Ben is free for lunch afterwards to smooth things over. So, was it know. was it weird for either one of you how quickly he switches? Oh, oh, tones. Yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a, like borderline like serial killery. Like it was very yeah. like one one frame to the next he switches. Yeah, I thought he was almost like joke, like being sardonic with it. Like, oh, of course. Well, would you like to get lunch after? Like, just, like, because he was still so frustrated. I thought he was being just a pissy little sarcastic butthead about it. Because he goes from, like, zero to 60 pissed off and then immediately backs off of it. So it was just, it was very strange. He's a very strange guy when you really get down to the nitty-gritty with him. Yeah. He won't be with us for too much longer, though. All right. From that startling and disorienting sequence, we have Carrie is walking down the hall with Susan, who is pulling the ultrasound machine for her gallstone patient, and Carrie pulled the chart on said patient, Miss D'Angelo. Um, so Carrie pulled Miss D'Angelo's chart. Um, she noticed that Miss D'Angelo has been on cefoxetin, and Carrie suggests, oh, cefotaxime. How did she say it? It's it's very similar, but like two letters off. Yeah. Cefotaxime, however the hell you say it. Um, she... She just points out that there's a um, another very similar sounding antibiotic that's better for biliary penetration. And she's, she's like, you know, I know there's a lot of antibiotics and they sound very similar, but as chief resident, it's well worth your time to memorize the names and Aye. what they are. <laughs> and, and then she goes on to say, like, you know, oh, your, su- your patient only has one of the three symptoms that would require an ultrasound for blockages, she probably doesn't need one. If you're going to be chief, you've got to watch the bottom line. Which, uh... <laughs> Like, it's not just her her choice of words. It's her the way she says them. Like, yeah, like, as she's talking, like, if you're going to be chief, you've got to watch the bottom line. And whatever. This bitch is in pain. Or, yeah, so this woman's this in pain. This bitch is in pain? <laughs> Fuck you. What, and whatever. This woman's in pain, and... <laughs> She has insurance, at least, that'll cover it. Because Medicaid, you don't pay for a goddamn thing, like, out of pocket, thankfully. Just the whole point is because you're fucking poor. Because you don't have money to pay for medical bills, so... Yeah, so it's like, why are you worrying about the bottom line when she's just going to use an uh, ultrasound machine for, like, a minute? Just build the insurance and move on with your day. Who knows? It could help. It can do nothing but help. Goddamn it, Carrie. God God damn it, Carrie. One more time? God damn it, Carrie. (laughs) Chloe's off the hook. We're getting, <laughs> we've moved on to goddamn Carrie. Well, we gotta have we gotta have at least one character uh, every episode where we're saying God damn it, so and so, and today it's Carrie. Then we flip over. We uh, have our next audio for you. Mark has a little meeting with Morgenstern concerning um, the O'Brien lawsuit. Mark, I don't believe you've met Kathy Snyder, one of the hospital attorneys. Hello. Hello. So, is this about this uh, cardiac arrest who died this morning? I haven't heard anything, have you? Uh, no. Kathy wanted to talk about the O'Brien lawsuit. Oh. You got a court date? We've worked out a settlement with Mr. O'Brien's attorney. Hmm. 
I'm not sure that I want to settle. The hospital is sure. It's a good thing, Mark. Mr. O'Brien gets compensated for the loss of his wife, and you can put this behind you. If I settle, this is going to follow me my entire career. Every time I apply for a staff job or insurance... Take it or... to trial, we could lose two million easily. You want to lug that around your entire career? I have been over this a thousand times. I didn't do anything wrong. It was a very complicated delivery. I did as good a job as any emergency physician could have. Other emergency physicians would and have disagreed with you. A pregnant woman comes in with preeclampsia, and for whatever reason, you didn't pick up on her. Her condition was masked by urinary infection. Look, I don't want to argue the details with you, Mark. You make thousands of diagnoses a year. 99% of them are right on. You made a mistake, as we all do. I don't accept that. Mark, please. No, this is about my reputation as a doctor. I'm not going to settle. Take my name off of it. You can't separate yourself from the suit. Well, I'll hire my own lawyer, and I'll fight it myself. So that's going great. Couple things here. One, pedantic. I hate how Morgan Stern says details. <laughs> Two, um, wasn't Diane Leeds the um the lawyer for She was the risk management person. Okay. I don't think she was the like I think she probably was the person who dispatched this person. Got it. And besides, she's been Bob, so we don't talk about <laughs> right, her anymore. We don't, oh, right. She, she doesn't, doesn't exist, exist anymore. She has been banished to the Shadow Realm. Yeah. God, she took a breakup with Doug that hard. <laughs> I mean, you break up with Clooney, especially in the mid-90s. That's that's interdimensional shit right there. Yeah. Was there a, was there a two to that? That was my two. Oh. One was details. Oh, two okay. was... <laughs> she gotta get the shouldn't that be Diane Lee? Gotta get the pedantic stuff out of the way first. I gotta just get it done. Pronunciations. Last one, North Lake Shore... <laughs> This one details. Setting the tone, a pedantic ER retrospective. You're welcome. So it's not it's not going great for Mark. He's He's having a very normal one. Yeah. Picked a bad day to come in on his day off. Yeah, like he didn't even have to be here today. <laughs> He's just gonna do the the, the, the clerk's thing. I'm supposed to be here. Uh, I would have killed for that. Just one of those. So then we go from there to our worm subplot. Uh, Chuni and Carol are they've dragged the worm canister into one of I guess it's like one of the trauma rooms or one of the treatment rooms. And this is not like a little can of worms. It is a full on like bucket sized. It's a drum drum full of worms that Carol has to like pry the top of the top off of. And then Lydia comes in and Lydia has raided the fridge for for all of the uh, spoiled non meat foods. And so she comes in and dumps like a bunch of spoiled yogurt and a banana peel on the worms i'm like is that really what they i mean i guess like i don't know it just seems i was really concerned here that the the storyline was going to go into that um this is what kills them yeah like that's kind of where i thought we were going to like they've they've killed the worms with spoiled yogurt but no that's not where we go but we'll get We'll get back to this a little bit later. Um, we jump over from there. Uh, Harper <clears throat> Harper comes and finds Carter, uh, and Carter sort of gives up the game a little bit. She asks if Buselich knew, knew who she was when Carter gave her credit for finding the aneurysm patient, and Carter immediately does the, like, record scratch, like, well, see, what happened? what had happened was I just – it all happened so fast, and I didn't actually, and I'm an asshole, and I took credit for it. So, yeah, she's not happy. She storms off, rightfully so, and Carter continues to be a little bit of a dumpster fire the last few episodes. Great job, John. 
<sighs> what a swell fella. And speaking of dumpster fires, our next audio for you is uh, Mark is pacing around the trauma room, and Susan walks in to have a little chat with him. What are you doing in here? The hospital decided to settle the O'Brien suit. Uh, isn't that good news? Morgan Stern thinks I'm at fault for not picking up the preeclampsia. That's not fair. He wasn't even there. You were there. It was as complicated a case as I've ever seen. You did everything you could. You think I should have caught the preeclampsia? It was a difficult diagnosis. Any one of us could have missed it. If you were called up on the witness stand and asked, did Mark Green screw up, what would you say? Sorry, Mark. Oh, no. <laughs> Day just keeps getting better and better and fuck. Is this why it's called it Ain't Easy Being Green? I wondered yep. why they called it that. That's green with an E, just FYI, in case, <laughs> in case, case any, you didn't notice it in your In case anyone thought Kermit was going to be guest starring on this episode. Yeah. Kermit the Doctor here. What? That was actually a pretty that good That was a Kermit. very good Kermit. Oh, you're welcome. It's better than your goofy. Thank you, thank you. I'm here. All, I'm here. I'm quarantined here all week. <laughs> yeah, much better than the goofy "Wake Me Up" cover. Oh no! Wake me up! <laughs> Get me out of this apartment. <laughs> What's Jerry up to, Lauren? Jerry. Thank you. Is trying to get Malik to sign up to the pyramid scheme now. Malik is too smart for that. It is not happening. And Carol has lost the worms. Oh no! And Jerry's like, I didn't touch him. <laughs> I love it. Carol's like, Have any of you seen a giant drum of worms or can of worms or whatever? And Jerry's just like, Wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. Not, he doesn't question why are you looking for worms. He's just like, I didn't do it. I like. Um, I think it's Susan. When Carol comes up and she's like, did anybody see what happened to the worms in radiology? And, and Susan doesn't even look up from her chart. She's like, I think they're doing a consult. That was perfect. <laughs> I enjoyed that line very much. Uh, and then another quick little beat. Mark is just uh, taking Jody O'Brien's records home with him. Creepy. That seems healthy. Uh, yeah, he's just like, oh, these are, I just have to do some, some review. Um, and then Doug is working with his big patient of the episode, who is Ray, a teenage boy. He's coming because he's complaining of persistent headaches for about a month. He is the middle linebacker on G- on the JV team for football, and they're going to get a CT scan for him. And I was really concerned this was going to go into a concussion storyline. Yeah. Like brain damage. Same. Hell, it probably still could have. I mean. It definitely takes a a left turn a little bit later on. That is not where this ends up. Uh, And then uh, Carter goes into the surgeon lunchroom to sort of to to sort of fall on his sword, uh, so to speak. Um, And he's interrupt. He interrupts Benton and Vuslich to fess up to his lie and that Harper actually found Harper actually found the aneurysm. And Vuslich is like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. We're excluding the study anyway because of neurological problems. So it just sort of hand waves him away, and Ugh. Carter's Carter is like, "Who?" But Benton is like, "Wait, what?" Uh? I think he's I think he's starting to uh, smell something fishy with this little study going on, and also the surgeon's lunchroom is fancy as fuck. Yeah, yeah, it's vi- like holy shit! It's very like first class on the Titanic. Fucking bunch of rich assholes doing rich people things, talking about their stocks and their grand pianos. Exactly, stocks, stocks. <laughs> So we go from there back to Susan talking with her gallstone patient, Mrs. D'Angelo, 
who bails out because Susan says that uh, they're not going to be, they're not going to do the, first she tries to sell it as they're not going to do the ultrasound because they don't think it's necessary. Um, but Susan can't really sell the lie. And she's like, yeah, we're not going to do it. Cause they're not going to like, they don't want to justify the expense, which rightfully pisses this lady off who is in pain. And she's like, I get it. I know how this, I know how this whole song and dance goes. I'm out of here. And it's just like, yeah, this is our, this is our, like the problem with the system patient for this week. And, uh, as per usual, there's not much in the way of solutions. It just kind of sucks. We go from there to back to Carol, uh, uh, checking in on the worms. Uh, they've discovered the worms, uh, out by the dumpster outside and they've been out there for quite a while. And, what I really like about this is how they treat this both here and as we go forward, they treat it almost like a trauma. Like they kind of film it. They kind of film it like a trauma too. And I really enjoy how full force they go with this. Like they really commit to the joke and commit to the bit. And I really like it. Carol's like barking out orders. She's like, go, you know, go get some blank uh, warming blankets and one of those warming lamps that they use for the newborns they get them into the trauma room and the lid is frozen solid onto the, the uh, bucket. So they have to like force it off. And when they finally do get it open, uh, the whole thing is like frozen solid and it's just, it's not, it's not good. And then I think it's Susan who comes in like halfway through and she's like, what do we got? Cause she just assumes that it's like a real <laughs> trauma because that's kind of how they've been behaving. Like they were rolling this thing down the hallway, yelling and screaming. So she comes in ready to like, get to work and carol's like yeah we got a bucket full of frozen solid earthworms and susan's like what the fuck dude like I, i'm a doctor it's just a really i enjoy the bit very much like the it's because they commit so hard to it that i think it works yes for sure i just love the intensity that they do the whole thing <sighs> you want to you want to go into this one not really. You want me to do it? No, I'll do it. <laughs> Happy Pride Month, everyone. Um, Jesus. Timely so episode. So, Doug. Yeah, so, uh, dog. Uh, dog. Dog? A <laughs> <laughs> little Freudian slip there. That's fine. So, uh, Doug is talking with Ray about his headaches. You know, Ray has a clear CT scan, and, you know, Doug's talking about stress. And Ray says, oh, yeah, he's got a few girlfriends, but he doesn't feel anything when he's around them and they just have a conversation and it comes out to Doug as gay. Okay. Cool. Good for him. And Doug immediately does his best to just sort of peace out from the situation. Basically mood walks out of the room. Like he's just like, mm, yeah. this is uncomfortable. I'm and it's like, oh, yeah. he's like, oh yeah, I'll be right back. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Doug asks for an adolescent psych psych specialist to come down to talk to him and Halle is like what the fuck dude and he's like kid thinks he's gay needs somebody to talk to it's not me I'm going to lunch because <laughs> if he thinks he's so, gay he must be crazy so who boy there's there's a lot there I'm just picturing from last season uh like Midwest full house dad Clooney who was like trying to fill in for jake at the little league game with the like short he had the like full dad outfit i'm trying to picture that version of Clooney sitting across from this kid who's struggling with his sexuality and trying to have that conversation with him it's just come on doug you can do better can he though but that's a question for later 
as Benton and Carter are coming out of the elevator, I believe, they walk past Harper, and um, Benton's a good catch on the aneurysm, and Harper goes to respond and then is immediately distracted because there's another um, trauma that's come in. Susan asks Harper and Carter to assist with a woman who collapsed in the lobby. Um, While this is going on, Carrie is drilling Susan for practice on leading the trauma, and Carter keeps giving Harper answers, which she's like, stop it, I got this. Leave me alone. Susan is doing her best to try to teach Carter and Harper throughout all this. You know, like, hey, why do we do X? Hey, what do we do? What do we do now? What tests do we order? You know, trying to trying to teach the kids. And Carrie is just questioning her every move. And it's so I have a I have a pedantic question about this. So this is this is directed at Lauren. So when they are when they start this scene, Benton is talking to Harper and Carter outside of the elevator and they get interrupted by this trauma that Carrie and Susan tag team. They get interrupted on this trauma by the elevator doors opening and a and a gurney being rolled out with the patient already on it. And it's they, right. they said that this woman collapsed in the lobby. They're on the first floor. Why did the they patient... They say what lobby? I mean, I guess, but to me, a lobby indicates, like... No, that's that's a good one. Like, if, if it, like, I'm thinking, like, Mercy Hospital, they have their main um, emergency room lobby, but then they also have, like, the lobby entrance for the main hospital. Those are both still on the first floor. Same with Weiss. But she could have been in the surgical lobby. She could have been. I mean, I guess. Again, like I said, this is definitely in the pedantic department. I just I thought it was strange that you would say somebody had collapsed in the lobby and they're coming out of an elevator onto a first floor emergency room. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was strange. Oh, I get where you're coming from on that for sure. Then Mark continuing his very awesome and totally normal day is in a diner looking over uh, Mrs. O'Brien's chart and Doug pops in and says hello. Hell of a way to spend your day off. Yeah, I wish I never would have come in, believe me. Is that Jody O'Brien? It's the first time I looked at that since the big day. She had two high BPs, proteinuria. I missed a preeclampsia. If I hadn't, she'd be alive. Could have happened to any of us any day. It's not supposed to happen to me. Well, you are arrogant. Arrogant? No, it's like there's you and the Pope. You guys are infallible, and of course there's the rest of us. Yeah? Well, after today, Pope's on his own. Good. I think I might have killed that guy this morning. Mark. Hey, Mark. When I first checked his heart, I heard a murmur. He must have had a congenital defect. That guy crashed 10 minutes after he got in there. There's nothing you could have done about that. Yeah, yes, there is. I could have gotten an echo, Uh, and then I could have gotten him straight to the OR. You're holding yourself to a ridiculous standard, Mark. I gotta get to an autopsy. Today off. Go home. How are we feeling about Mark's life choices here? This is the second time that this particular thing has come up. Um, the whole like Green thinks he's infallible and should never make a mistake thing, and yet I still don't feel like it's part. Like so clearly, it's come up more than once. It is part of his character, but I still don't feel like it makes sense. Like I still don't feel like that's a a trait of his that is canon. And yet, here we are. <laughs> like, where it's come up again, so it clearly is. But to me, it still feels like odd, and it feels like not his character that he would consider himself infallible. It's just weird to me. 
Yeah, don't be like this, Mark. Come on. We know you're better than this. We've seen you be better than this in, this in a season and a half of this TV show already. But his life is falling apart. and he Every time this happens, I've noticed it's around big life events for him. That's true. Yeah. Like the last time it was when he and Jen were fighting a ton and there was the whole issue of going to Milwaukee or staying. Here it's happening because the divorce is finally being finalized and the lawsuit's on his mind. And like, it's always in moments of incredible stress and self-doubt for Mark. Yeah. yeah. When he doubts himself in other aspects of his life is when he starts to doubt his competency as a doctor. Either way, Mark, baby, get your shit together, please. So from there, we go back to the trauma. Uh, and Carter Carter tries to cover for Harper here um, because she messed up the blood gas and hit a vein instead of an artery. And Harper will have none of it and immediately fesses up, doesn't want Carter fighting her battles for her. Um but Susan still instructs Carter to redo the blood gas instead uh, rather than having Harper redo it. Susan prepares to do a pericardiocentesis, try to say that five times fast. Uh, Carrie advises that she should get the EKG first, but Susan, in a beautiful little clapback, is just like, you can wait for the tech if you want. I'm going to go see if there's any fluid around this guy's heart, or around this lady's heart, excuse me. Uh, And bam, fluid. She is right. And it's nice to see Susan stand up for herself. It's always nice to see Susan stand up for herself. And Harper, too, in this case. Like, it's nice to, uh, again, I continue time and time again to appreciate Harper as a character more and more uh, this go around. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Then we go over to the autopsy of Alan. And Mark pops in. It's And we have the first appearance of, our, of a recurring uh, character, the mortician. Uh, who plays her, Daniel? Yeah, the mortician, Dr. Upton, a recurring character who honestly is not as recurring as I thought she was. Like, Yeah, I see that. She, yeah, so this is her first of only seven appearances uh, through about 2003, so that's going to put us right around season nine or so. So if we're in season two here, that basically means she's going to show up about once a season, uh, which is crazy. I definitely thought she was somebody that they went to at least a few times a season, but apparently not. Um, She's played by an actress named Megan Cole, who has a very interesting filmography. She only has 15 appearances total as an actress, um, but she picks her spots really well. Um, She's appeared in stuff like L.A. Law, Seinfeld, uh, Star Trek Next Generation, as well as Deep Space Nine, in addition to uh, ER. And she's just a very, like, interesting character. Um, She has a very interesting voice and cadence, the way she talks um and she's just got a really like cool look about her like she's got the real short crop haircut and it's kind of like salt and pepper hair like she's just a very interesting character she's the kind of character that like you don't get to see very often but you immediately every time you do you want to know more about and i think that's like the that's what that's what you strive for with a side character you you want to be drawn in by them speaking of we haven't seen our radiologist in forever x-ray steve, steve. yeah he's still around he has not been bobbed but yeah he's very infrequent appearances uh, but getting back to the scene, uh, the heart looks to be like they're just getting started, and the heart looks to be normal shape and size. And but we'll check back with them after this next scene. And then Hale, Doug has come back, and Hale tells Doug that the psych team still isn't there after an hour. And he's like, oh, "Okay, I'll call him again." And she's like, "Well, why don't you go talk to the kid?" And he's like, "I've got four other patients, and there's nothing physically wrong with the boy." She's like, "You know." 
but you could still go talk to him. And she's like, if you're asking if I'm not talking to him because his problems fall out of my 15 years experience, then the answer is yes. If you're asking if it's because I'm homophobic, then the answer is no. And this kind of goes back to like what we talked about the other episode, where if you have to scream, I'm not a racist <laughs> in a fucking uh, cafeteria, you're probably racist. If you have to insist that you're not homophobic, you might be a little, even if you don't realize it. Time to do a little uh, self-reflection there. Dougie boy. Yeah, because we know Doug's so good at that. <laughs> we go back to the autopsy, and we have some audio from it, so let's listen in. No congenital or valvular anomalies, endocardium normal, myocardium of normal thickness and color, blood vessels at base, normal. Coronary ostea are in the usual anatomical position. Arteries show no sign of plaque. He's normal. No sign of anything congenital? Were you here just a second ago? What was the cause of death? <laughs> Typical ER thinking. Got to be cause and effect, right? See, down here we operate on a slightly different gestalt. Sometimes there are answers, but many times, mystery. It's not very satisfying. Mm. You think you're a scientist? You want explanations, hard answers, algorithms of care? That's dog crap. Medicine's an art. Art is ambiguous. All right, preliminary results. Idiopathic dysrhythmia. No known cause of death. Why didn't this lady get a spinoff? Like, I would watch I don't her. Know. I would watch her for an entire episode just do that. <laughs> why, yes. is, why isn't she just the person they call when they need a mortician? Like, I could have sworn. She, like, she seems like she would be right at home on any number of Law & Order spinoffs. Yeah. She's and she should be perfect. on all of them. Like, I know that they have their own, like, recurring uh, mortician character, but... No, but you're right, though. She should totally be, like, the the munch of the ER universe. Like, she should just go exactly. around to all the shows and be the mortician because she's perfectly cast in this. Like, I'm sure there was autopsies in Third Watch, the show that's canonically in-universe with ER. <laughs> like, just have her on there. It's fine. It's fine. <sighs> Love her. But, yeah. Mark, it's fine. They, Shit happens. Sh- yeah. Get over yourself. Shit Not everything's ha- about you, man. But he has to be perfect. Eh. Eh. That's my Mark impression. (laughs) And it's great. And I'm telling you, it's right right there next to your Goofy. Uh, So so we go from there uh, to Carol breaking the news to Worm Lady that her worms are dead. And again, they commit full scale to the bit here. They tell her that the worms are dead exactly the same way that they would tell a patient or a, a patient's family that a patient has passed away. She's like, we, we've used our full capabilities. Like we were blah, blah, blah. Like she does the whole spiel and it's, it's just so perfectly done. I love it so, so much. And Mrs. Uh, Henry says, you know, can I see them? So we'll come back to them just a little bit later. We go over to Benton who is reviewing the study parameters uh, in one of the trauma rooms uh, kind of cause I, after, based on that last conversation he had with Vuselich, I believe Benton is starting to smell a little bit of a rat. And so he's kind of pouring over the parameters of the study here and see kind of what's going on. And while he's doing that, Jeannie comes into the room and asks what he's doing. And Benton explains kind of what's the situation here. And uh, Jeannie just kind of offhandedly remarks like, well, Vuselich wouldn't just drop bad outcomes just to pretty up his results, would he? And Benton's like, uh, so that kind of is where we're, where we leave that for now. Uh, it's not great. I wish we had had him actually make that noise. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Just pulling on his collar. 
Um, then after that, we have uh, Harper and Carter arguing about him covering for her, and he's really worried about his residency chances, and they're just sort of, like, they're just sort of nipping at each other's heels, and he, uh, it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot to do a ton of stuff for Ben, and just runs off. Way to run away from your problems, Carter. <laughs> like any affluent white man. And then... Carrie comes up to Susan at the admit desk and is like, hey, I just double-checked this fact that you dropped in the trauma and you're wrong, and if you're going to be chief resident, you should really get your facts straight. And um, Susan is done. She goes, if being chief means you breathing down my neck all day, then life is too short and just stay out of my way. And we think that this would be something that, like, Carrie would flip out on, but Carrie just kind of smirks and goes, you know, that's the first time I've heard you act like chief resident. Maybe Morgan Stern was right. And she just smiles and walks away. I fucking hate that shit. And Susan's like, what the fuck? Let me needle you to the point of, like, rage and then back off and be like, see, I always knew you could do it. Ugh. Fuck off. Um, And then Doug comes back to talk to Ray. And as he comes back, um, Ray's dad is there and is they're getting ready to leave. They've both got their jackets on, and Ray's like, oh, it's probably just the trigonometry. It's fine. I think it's just stress. Like, it'll be okay. And um, his dad's like, really? You think that's what it could be? And Doug's like, yeah, it could be that, or, you know, it could be some other things. You know, Ray, if you need to talk about this or anything else, you just call me here, okay? Even though I've completely failed you in this moment, okay? It's like, yep, too little too late, Doug, but good on you. An attempt was made. So a little silver medal with you tried engraved yeah. on it. Then after that, we sort of we, uh, get our next little bit of uh, the Benton and Vuselich storyline. Um, he's in Vuse, goes to Vuselich's office to pull Mrs. Rubidoux's file, and while Vuselich's assistant goes um, to go over some scheduling things with Vuselich behind, so behind her back, uh, Benton takes several files from the cabinet, not just Mrs. Rubidoux's. He takes a comedic amount of files, like to the it point. It takes like twenty. To it's the, only like five. But it's like I just th- like after a certain because he pulls them all out individually, and so like at a certain point I was just like we we really should just cut to a sight gag where he's walking down the hallway like trying to balance this gigantic stack of files, <laughs> and he's dropping them and like. Okay, it wasn't that bad. You guys are overreacting. No, no, like, no, no. I'm just saying you like you need to you need to establish. A the, pattern. The pattern. No, I, I get it. No, I get it. It's just, it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. So two or three ain't going to cut it. You're right. Now who's being pedantic? I'm just being logical. <laughs> I'm not being pedantic. God. All right. So we go from there uh, to Jerry at the admit desk counting an enormous stack of cash. Uh, Alvin came through for him. So now who's playing for it? Chess? It's my man, Jerry. Carol stops by the desk and she's got like a little like, kind of like a little like Chinese food takeout container full of worms. Uh, she got some worms from Miss Henry. Uh, the worms burrowed into the, like the core of the bucket, and so they were able to kind of bundle together for heat and manage to stay alive, which is pretty cool. Uh, so she, uh, as a thank you, Miss Henry gave her some of the worms to start her own colony. So that's pretty cool. Uh, uh, can I uh, correct and then something we there? We jump quickly. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, she fucking lied to Miss Henry. Those were she had no idea. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Carol stole those. You're absolutely right. She did steal them. Fuck. Sorry, I, I just I like that. blatant thievery. Carol's a thief and a fraud. Uh, Sorry. No, no, no. no you're you're absolutely right. Thank you for checking me. You are absolutely right. 
so we go back from there to back to Benton, who is now holed up in his office, pouring over these study files that he has commandeered. And Carter bursts through the door to apologize for not getting his stuff done on time. And so, like, as he bursts through the door, Benton kind of does the, like, little kid with a porno mag thing. He kind of, like, pulls it down off the desk and is like, I'm not doing anything. And Carter's Carter's just in his own world and is like, yeah, I'm sorry for not doing my shit on time. And Benton's like, it's fine, whatever. Just leave. Like, I have more important things to do. And then just as he's about to leave, he's like, Carter, what time did you get whatever done or did you get something done on time? And he's like, yeah. And then leaves and then comes back two seconds later. And he's like, no, (laughs) like he gives him a chance, gives him a chance not to lie. He still chooses to lie. So it's like, great job, Carter. You're doing, you're doing, you're doing fantastic, sweetie. Um, And then we uh, round out Mark's uh, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day in the ER with a little chat with Susan. So let's listen to them. So, are we sworn enemies forever? No. Denial's a funny thing. It keeps you from asking the scary questions. Which ones? Ones I've been asking myself all day today. Am I dangerous? Should I be practicing medicine? We all ask those questions. And the answers are no and yes. In that order. I hope so. I lost my family for this job. You're wallowing. Yes, I am wallowing. First good wallow I've had in a while, so don't ruin it. Well, I'm gonna drive home. You wanna ride? Nope. I jogged in. I'm gonna jog out. Hey, you wanna hear something funny? Definitely. You know that guy who died this morning? It wasn't my fault. I did everything right, and he died anyway. So what's the lesson in that? Can't win. Oh, man. You are wallowing. Good night. Good night. Susan? Yeah? Did did anybody think it was odd, my coming in today? No. Oh. I was just checking. Good night. Good night. Just, ugh. <laughs> Everybody thought it was weird, Mark. It was weird. <laughs> don't, don't, just don't come in on your day off. I was going to say, you could have spared yourself so much stress by just not fucking coming in today. Yeah. I mean, he does, like, I feel like at least he does learn a little something towards the end where he's like, I did everything right and the guy died anyway. Like, even though he doesn't reach the right conclusion... I feel like he might be at least in a slightly better place than he was earlier where he was obsessing over every little detail and, you know, just assuming that it was his fault. But yeah, super weird moment here uh, that I wanted to see if either one of you caught uh, because it's right towards the end of this clip. So as they transition out of the lounge into the kind of ambulance bay doors slash main entrance to the, the ER, they're standing there talking and they they have their little rest of their conversation. And then right as Mark starts to exit the ER doors after he asks if it's weird, if he came in today, did you, either one of you notice this guy coming out of radiology on the, so that if you, if you're looking straight at the ambulance bay doors, the doctor's lounge door is on your right. And the um, radiology is directly across the hall on your left. And 
right out of that radiology room door, a guy comes out in a like red, black, and yellow, like kind of like Rasta almost Rastafarian hoodie, carrying charts, and he's on rollerblades. I did see him. I thought maybe he was like a messenger service or something. <laughs> it was so weird. But I don't know why he would have been rollerblading in the winter. It was so fucking weird. I was like, why is this here? Like, so if you if you're listening at home and you want to go back and see this, it's right at 4250 is the the timestamp on it. If anyone has an explanation for it, I would love to hear it because I think it's super weird and out of place and I'm not sure why cuz he cuts right through the middle of the shot, too. It's not like this is just some rando in the background that they missed like he cuts right through the middle of the shot it's so strange um then we just finish off the episode real quick by uh just showing mark jogging home hooray ish i don't know <laughs> we're i think we're i think we're working our way out of the lull like the mid-season yeah, no, doldrums this, this one was this one was definitely pretty solid yeah this is a, this is a step in the right direction for sure like we've had a few duds in a row and then this one i think is we're, we're trending upwards i still don't think i still think uh a lot, there's been a ton of filler, but at least the the filler the, the filler that was here was wasn't the worst. I mean, the whole Doug thing was pretty stupid and could have been cut easily. Yeah, but. Doug's storyline doesn't really amount to much, but I think, like we said earlier, like Carol's little little levity subplot, I thought was very strong and a, and a good example of how you can do levity and really commit to it and not detract from the episode otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot to like in this episode. It, it might not stand out as like an all-time great or anything like that, but compared to the last couple ones that we've had that were either some degree of like by the numbers or just outright bad, like this looks like a fucking masterpiece. Very, very true. Lauren, any any final thoughts? Um, No, I think this was just really, uh, like Daniel said, it was a good kind of, for lack of a better term, pick-me-up after the last couple episodes we've had, be it they were just straight downers or filler episodes so i feel like the season's kind of going to be on an uptick from here well we can only hope uh well that's about going to wrap up our show today thank you all very much for listening as always this show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast for only a dollar a month you can get access to our show notes each week for only five dollars a month you can get access to the full season recap episodes and a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk jerry uh, once our stretch goals are met, you'll also get access to our to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment, as well as monthly movie commentaries, where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a mock trial. And Laura, where can folks find you at? Um, This week I'm going to continue my woke reading list for everybody. Um, The book I'm recommending today is Me and White Supremacy by Layla Saad. And also, I want to thank everybody who's been kind enough to leave reviews for us on iTunes. It's been very nice seeing those each week. So thank you very much. Always a nice thing to read. I think we are. Are we still the 177th most popular? 178th by my last check. Damn. We have designs on being We're coming for that. Yeah, we're coming for 177th spot. Yeah, maybe 176 if we're feeling spicy one day. Um, 
Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter. I am at Random Gamer. That's J-A-M-3-R. Uh, as well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel, doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, new episodes of that go up every Friday. If you simply search the Popular Court on YouTube, uh, the channel should pop right up for you. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening again. Uh, and please join us again next time, and have a great week.